grows fainter and your path uncertain, climb on when the rocks become sharper and tear at your feet. Climb on when rain clouds threaten and the fierce winds howl. Climb on when the air grows thin and each breath takes more effort. Climb on when the crowds turn back and the path becomes lonely. Climb on when your faith is pushed to its ultimate limit. Climb on. That's right, my friend. Climb on. A reward awaits for all those who refuse to give up. For all those who reach the summit. Life trails. Take the next step. they call lateral thinking puzzles or sometimes they're called brain teasers puzzles they throw out there that kind of stretch your thinking and make you think outside the box for instance all right here's one example of that a man pushes his car until he reaches a hotel and then he realizes he's bankrupt what just happened he was playing monopoly Okay, let me give you a different one. A man lives in a 30-story building, decides to jump out of his window. He survives the fall with no injuries. How is this possible? Well, he lives on the first floor. Okay, so you're getting the idea of this. One more here. A man is condemned to death. He has to choose from three rooms to accept his punishment. The first room has a firing squad with guns loaded. The second room has a blazing fire. The third room is filled with tigers that haven't eaten in six months. Which room should he choose? The tigers, they haven't eaten in six months, they're dead, all right, so. Okay, one last one here for you. What would be the best way for an old man to summit a 6,000, or excuse me, a 16,000 foot mountain? He needs to take the boat, okay? If that doesn't make sense, hang in there, because this is exactly what happens in the story that we're looking at today. There's an old man, you know, five, six hundred years old, who uh, lands on top of a 16,000-foot mountain in a boat that he spent 120 years building, and when he gets there, his family is with him, along with probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 45,000 animals. His name is Noah, and his story is told in Genesis chapter 6. And so let me invite you to turn with me there. We're going to walk through a few of those chapters to start with and really land in Genesis chapter 9 here this morning. But the story of the ark is a familiar story. This starts all the way back there in Genesis chapter 6. It says this, verse number 1, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of human were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. And then in verse number 3, we have an important verse. The Lord said, my spirit will not always contend with humans forever. And we get the idea there that there's some friction between man and between God. And then he says this, for they are mortal, and their days will be 120 years. And we get the idea here that God is giving out a warning to the people of earth. There's friction between him and them. And he's saying, you've got 120 years to repent. And so the story goes on there in verse number 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. 
and the Lord regretted or the Lord grieved that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. And this is not God throwing an emotional temper tantrum. This is God saying, okay, this hasn't worked. We're going to go to plan B. But then there's an important verse here in verse number 8. It says, but Noah found favor or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it gives us the key idea for this entire story. And it's the idea of grace, even though it doesn't sound much like it at this point in the story. In verse number 9, this is the account of Noah. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. But he still needed to find grace with God, even though he was such a great guy. And then there's a contrast in verse number 11 there. Now the earth was corrupt and full of violence. And that's interesting to me. Corrupt makes sense to me. But it's interesting that the other term or the other description that we get there is that the earth is full of violence. And we live in a world that looks a lot like that today, doesn't it? We see violence around us in all places. And from, from wars to senseless shootings to, to even the verbal and the emotional violence that we see that's ripping apart our society. And why is that? Well, when man disregards God, the creator, he disregards the created as well. And so the disregard for God reflects in man's disregard for each other. And so God looks at man, they're corrupt, they're violent, they have no desire for him. He gives them a warning and says, you got 120 years here, because that's how long it's going to take to build this boat, to turn back to me, and if you don't, judgment's going to come in the version or in the form of a flood. So God talks to Mo and says, hey, build this big boat. And it's an interesting story here because it goes all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis. It's not written down here until Moses gets to it centuries later. And so it's an oral tradition that's passed on through the ages until uh, Moses actually records it. But there's an incredible amount of detail in this story mixed with an incredible lack of detail in, in other ways. But it gives us the exact diameter, or dimensions rather, of the boat here. It's to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. It's supposed to be three floors, and that would give us about 100,000 square feet of floor space. And engineers tell us that that would be enough room to, to host roughly 45,000 animals. That's quite a zoo. And we've seen mock-ups and we've seen models of that today. In fact, you can go down into Kentucky and there's the uh, Ark Encounter. I know some of you have been down there. I know the youth group's been down there in the past. And even there, though, they give you a disclaimer to say, this is just a model of what it might have looked like. We're not exactly sure. And, and that model is more of a, a, of a ship where it could have been just as simple as a box. All it needed to do was float. It didn't really have to go anywhere. But God gives the instructions, Noah builds this then, the animals are brought to the ark by God, and male and female, they're loaded onto the ark. And in verse number uh, 22 of chapter 6, God says this about Noah, and Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. And it's interesting in this whole story here that Noah never speaks to God. We have no references of him saying anything until way later in the story and it's not to God it's just to one of his sons 
But Noah gathers the animals. They get on the boat. God closes the door, and they wait for seven days, and then the rain comes. And it rains for 40 days and 40 nights, and then for another 110 days, the waters continue to rise until we're 150 days into this adventure, and the waters crest and finally start to recede. And as we follow the math through here, and we get to chapter 8, we see that the float finally comes to an end in verse number 4 of, of uh Genesis 8, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And that mountains there is actually plural, so we think this was actually a mountain range. We're not exactly sure where that is, but there is a Mount Ararat today that you can go visit. It's actually in Turkey. We'll show a picture up here of that. And you can see there the red triangle is Mount Ararat. You can see the, the land surrounding that. And this is actually a mountain range today, and that mountain, if you have that next picture, that is Mount Ararat there. There's another picture, and another one. There's two peaks, actually, to it, but you get the size of this mountain. It's 16,000 feet. Now, if you're a mountain climber, that's a big mountain. In fact, if you like to climb mountains in the United States, you have to go to Alaska to find anything bigger. Anything in the, the lower 48 is smaller than Mount Ararat. Even the mountains of Colorado are in the 14,000-foot range. This is 16,000 feet, and you can go climb it today if you'd like, but you have to get a permit from the Turkish government because it's in Turkey, and they insist that you take a Turkish guide with you, which I would recommend too, probably a good idea. Also, give yourself time to climb this mountain because of the altitude change. It's going to take you at least three days to do it because you're going to have to stop periodically and camp so that you can adjust to it. And this possibly is the mountain that Noah's ark comes to rest on. And so the boat starts floating, and maybe they could sense that, but Noah sends out a, a raven first of all, and then a dove, and the dove comes back with nothing in its mouth. And he sends it out a second time, and it comes back with an olive leaf in its mouth. And he throws, sends it out a third time, and the dove doesn't come back, and Noah says, okay, finally, we're on dry land here, and we could come out of this boat. And they've been in that boat now for over a year before they finally step out into dry land. And the first thing that Noah does when he steps off the boat is he builds an altar. And we see that recorded in the end of verse, or excuse me, the end of chapter 8. And then in verses 21 and 22, we also see God making a decision in his mind to say, you know what? We're not going to do a flood again. And I think maybe that was because God was even himself somewhat like taken back. I don't know if that's the best way to say it, by the destruction that had taken place. But in chapter 9, God takes that covenant idea and he extends it to Noah and he gives some more details of this. And he's basically saying, here's my covenant, here's my promise, I'm never going to destroy the earth this way again. I'm not going to destroy the people, the animals, that's not going to happen, a flood is never going to happen. That's my commitment to you. But with any covenant, any contract that any, in the Bible there... There's some expectations that come on the other side of it. And so God lays out some of these expectations for mankind, which if you read through these in the early part of chapter 9, they sound very much like what God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, which would be basically subdue the earth and populate the earth. And those exact same instructions are given to Noah and to his family. Steward creation and populate this world. Well, we want to pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 9 because in our series on, on summits, we're going to take what happens at the summit 
And we're going to talk about why it matters for us today. So, verse number 8. God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you, and notice the next two words, never again, will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. And then he says it again, never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between you and every living creature, a covenant for all generations to come. So what happens next is not just for Noah and his family. This is for every human being since. So everybody in this room, this is for you. God said, excuse me, um, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And never before had a rainbow appear in the cloud, but there will be many, 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 many in days to follow. In fact, you and I have seen our fair share of them ourselves. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of all kinds. And what he's saying here is it's going to be a repeating phenomenon, and every time it repeats, it's a reminder to you that I've promised not to destroy the earth by a flood, but it's also a reminder to me, not that God needs a reminder, but it's a reminder to me that I made that promise and I will keep it. So we're both going to look at that rainbow at the same time and say, hmm, God promised. And then he says this, never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind of the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. So every time we see a rainbow, we're transported back to something that happened thousands and thousands of years ago in history, all the way back at the beginning of the Old Testament. But I think this is interesting when we go back into the Bible and we talk about stories. We have to somewhat transport ourselves back there and, and insert ourselves in the stories to at least be spectators. And we have to imagine what it's like. Now, sometimes a few of us are lucky and we get to take trips to Israel, like Pastor Marcus, on his way today. And we actually get to stand in those places. But usually we just read about them and maybe we see a picture, maybe we see a map. And that's the extent of our experience not this story. Because every time we stand outside, look in the sky, and see a rainbow, we are experiencing exactly the same thing that Noah experienced, and that God has repeated over and over and over again, and say, now, this is the moment. You don't have to go back. You can stand in this moment and appreciate everything that the rainbow stands for. So why did God create the rainbow? And what we're going to do for the rest of the morning here is we're going to talk about rainbows. Now, rainbows are very popular throughout history. And maybe there's something about the rainbow that, that, well, it's colorful and it's easy to draw and fun to draw. In fact, I put a rainbow there in your bulletin. Some of you who like to take notes on the back, you could take notes on the back. For those of you that's kind of you know, not your thing, you can actually use the rainbow that I put in your bulletin and you can take notes right on your rainbow. 
I thought about just leaving the rainbow blank and you could color it in, but I didn't have crayons for everybody, so I went ahead and colored these all in. But you can, uh, there's going to be a word that fits with each one of these bands of the rainbow this morning as we talk about the rainbow. Now, the rainbow has been used throughout time to represent different causes and different movements and different social groups and, and everything down to rainbow preschools and rainbow carpet cleaners and, and a little bit of everything out there is associated with the rainbow. What we want to do this morning, though, is we want to take that rainbow back to what God meant for it the very first time. Because rainbows aren't just about natural appearances, nature, phenomenons. Rainbows are actually theological statements. And every time we see a rainbow, we can, we can marvel at nature, but we can also see the God who puts it there, and we can marvel at Him as well. And so this is a story about the rainbows, and those rainbows that we see are not just for us to enjoy, we can't enjoy those, but every time we see a rainbow, there should be something in that rainbow that says, oh, this is about God. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to walk us through seven things in this story, seven ways that the rainbow reveals God to us, and, and learn from those, and my hope is that any time in the future that you see a rainbow that you're not just like, oh, that's so cool, but you actually say, oh, that reminds me of, and maybe one or two or three or maybe several of these different things. So I'm going to try to walk us through a little bit of the science of a rainbow, and I'm not a scientist, so if I get this wrong, I beg your forgiveness for all of you who are scientists, but hopefully we'll get it straight. Let's start with the first slide up here. What happens when we see a rainbow? Well, light, white light, that is what most of us deal with, especially outside, is made up of several waves. And you can see the red at the top. There's big, wide waves there. The violet at the bottom, those are narrow waves. But when you have a rainbow, light enters into a raindrop. And when it enters the surface of the raindrop, that causes the light to refract and it splits into what we call the color spectrum, and then it bounces off the wall of the raindrop, that's reflection, comes, hits the other wall as it comes out, and light splits into those colors. Now, all of those colors exist at all time. In fact, that's how we see color, because of the different reflection of light. But when we stare at a rainbow, actually what we're seeing is the invisible light that we deal with all the time, suddenly made visible. And it's a great reminder to us that there is an invisible world that exists that's real even when we can't see it. And it's a reminder to us theologically that we have a God who cannot be seen and yet is real. And not only is he real, though, he chooses to reveal himself. Now, he reveals himself throughout time, specifically to different people he gave visions to or different people that he spoke to, or as we look at this, specifically through the Word of God. But he also reveals himself through nature, and he tells us a lot about himself just as we look at the natural world. And we see the beauty of God, and we see the, the faithfulness of God, we see all these different things, but they're reflected in nature. But it's a reminder to us when we look at a rainbow to say, oh, there is a God, and I can't actually see God in the rainbow, but when I look at a rainbow, 
that's really invisible. That light's always out there. But just when the right conditions are up, it's always invisible. But then we can see God and we can be reminded of the fact that God is real and that he reveals himself. And not only do we get a picture of the fact that there is a God, we start to get a picture of who and what that God is like. Well, when we see this rainbow, you see this Thing that comes up here, and, and this is what happens next. If you notice it bounces there, we already looked at that. If you look all the way over there to the right on your screen, it says 42 degrees. This is why you don't see rainbows all the time. There have to be certain conditions that are met for you to see a rainbow. The light from the sun has to be behind you. It has to be hitting the raindrops in the atmosphere at somewhere between 40 and 42 degrees. And when it does that, it gives it the the ability to separate into that spectrum, and then it shows that light up into the atmosphere there, the raindrops that are there. And so it's actually a little bit of an optical illusion, like you can't ever get around to the other side of a rainbow. But what's interesting to me as I keep reading about this is that rainbows are different for every, every, I'll try to say that again, rainbows are different for every person. So depending upon where you actually happen to be standing, you actually see a little bit different rainbow from the next person because it depends on this this angle of light. And so if you're standing over here, your angle is a little bit different from a person standing over here. And so all of us, we all stand and look at the rainbow, go, oh, look at that rainbow, but we're all seeing our own rainbows. And what does that remind us of the fact? It reminds us of the fact that God is personal. When God reveals himself to you, he reveals himself personally to you. It's you and nobody else. And as you stand, next time you see a rainbow, that's a little bit of the idea of just you and God standing there. In fact, I like how it says that in the story there. God says, I'll look at that rainbow and I'll remember. And as you're looking at that rainbow and you remember, in that moment we have this point of connection. And so a rainbow is a reminder to us that God is personal and he's present in our moment. And so God sees you, God knows you, he knows all about you, he knows what's going on in your life and God is personally there for you. And remember, he's invisible, so he's not just there when you see the rainbow, he's there at all times. And rainbows remind us that God is personal. Now, here's a question for you, and this is the one that I struggled with the most. Why are rainbows round? Or actually, they're an arc shape, and we're used to seeing rainbows like this. And if it weren't for the horizon of the earth, that rainbow would actually go in a complete circle, but the earth gets in the way. And they say that you can get actually up in the sky in a plane or whatever and see a completely circular rainbow. But why is it that way? Well, it all goes back to that 40-degree, 42-degree thing. When you look at a rainbow, <clears throat> when you look off to right straight in front of you, that's at 42 degrees. If you went out in a straight line from that, that angle would change. But to maintain that 42 degrees, that angle keeps going that same distance. It'd be like standing with, with an ice cream cone, a giant ice cream cone, and you're at the point of the cone and looking off. All of the edges of that cone are the exact same distance away, and that's what maintains that 42-degree angle. Okay. Can you go back to the picture before this that we have? Or, uh, okay. You know what I love about that picture? 
It's just like a great picture of God's arms in my mind. Reaching out and embracing this earth. And it reminds us, at least visually, of the fact that God is sovereign. And this story is a story about God's sovereignty who created the world and said, you know what, you're going to live according to the plans and the laws and, and, and what I've decreed here. And if you don't, there's going to be judgment. And that's right, because God is just, just and God is sovereign. And so God sends the flood. But it's also a reminder that God is in control, and there's times in our lives when we feel like everything's out of control, when everything's going willy-nilly, and this is crazy, and God says, no, 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 no. I've got this under control. And you know that song, he's got the whole world in his hands. To me, it's almost like God says, I've got you here. And we see the arc of the rainbow embracing the world, and it reminds us that God is sovereign and that he is still in control. Now the rainbow takes white light and separates it into seven different bands. Actually, there are thousands of different colors in a rainbow, but you just see them separated into those seven. It's the same as that you would find on your little handout there. But they all, um, sorry, uh, they all serve as this great mosaic, and that's how they actually refer to a rainbow. It's not two-dimensional, because it's got all these drops. It's actually like all these drops are like this mosaic here, but it gives us incredible beauty. And you look at a picture like that, and you're like, oh, that's beautiful. And if we're outside and we see a rainbow, what do you do when you see a rainbow? You find the next person to you and make sure that they saw it too, right? Yeah, oh, you know, check that out. There's a rainbow. You know, it's like everybody's, and if you're a place where there's a group of people, everybody's standing pointing at the rainbow. Like you haven't seen one of those before. But why do we point? Because it's just still so cool, isn't it? It's so beautiful. In fact, some of you might have pictures of rainbows on your phone. Anybody? Yeah. Uh, I have one from when I went to the, to the, uh, concert in the park back in June in Clarkston. I was riding my bike home and I turned the corner as I went through the parking lot at the junior high school there and I was like, whoa, and there was nobody there. So you know what I did? I had to take a picture so I could take it home and show my wife. But rainbows attract us because of their beauty. There's something magical. There's actually something supernatural about them. And the beauty of the rainbow reflects the beauty of God. And God is beautiful. And we have all these different terms and words and and attributes of how we describe God. You know, God is holy and God is just. Or we've already said this this morning, God is sovereign or God is merciful. But God is actually beautiful. David says in one of his psalms, and it'll show up in your growth guide this week if you follow along. He says, I just want to go and I just want to stare at the beauty of of God. You ever thought about the fact that God is beautiful and we can enjoy God's beauty in the natural world a lot of times reflects God's beauty and the color of the natural world reflects God's beauty but it's nothing compared to the person who created that beauty. And I think it's interesting, as you look at these bands of, of, the, of the rainbow, there's those seven bands. That's just what we can see, but that's not where the light ends. If you keep going on the bottom side of the rainbow, that's the violet. You keep going there, that's ultraviolet light. 
If you get beyond the top of that, you get into the infrared light. But the light's beyond anything that we can see. But I wonder sometimes, maybe when we get to heaven someday, God says, okay, let's just open that up a little bit further. My speculation. But maybe there's going to be even more that we see because we're going to enjoy the beauty of God. And God is beautiful, and he invites us to marvel. And when's the last time that you just stopped and said, Whoa, God. Or when's the last time you looked at a rainbow and said, you created that, didn't you, God? Whoa, that's incredible. And it's a reflection of God's beauty. Now, if you look at a rainbow, we'll get the next picture up here, you'll notice a phenomenon, and you'll wonder if this is just something that, that you see that's not really real. But if you look at the bottom side of the rainbow and compare it to the top side of the rainbow, you notice a difference of lightness and darkness. That is not an optical illusion. That is actually what happens. And it's with all of this reflecting light and with the, with the shorter wavelengths, and I don't totally understand this, but there is actually more light under a rainbow than there is above a rainbow. There's more uh, of, of that brighter colors of, of the light there. But I thought this is an interesting picture to me of what God's grace looks like. Because when we're under this rainbow of God's love, whatever, or under the rainbow of God's grace is really the word I want there, life is brighter. Life is better. Life is more alive. And this story is a great picture of what grace is about. Because we look at it and say, no, 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 this is a story of judgment. God judged the world. No, this is actually a story of grace. Because God could have just wiped out mankind completely. But he said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And he found Noah, and Noah was the great guy. But what does it say about Noah? Noah found grace. God still had to offer good in the place of all the bad of Noah. And God chose Noah, and through choosing Noah, actually chose you and me. And instead of wiping out all of the world at that point, if he had done that, he would have wiped out all the world to come. And we wouldn't be sitting here this morning. But God chose Noah, and through Noah, he says, I'm going to extend grace, and we're going to just start over here. And that's why we see that the uh, cultural mandate is uh, put out there again. It's because God's saying, okay, I'm going to spare you, man, and I'm going to give you a second chance. And God is gracious, and he gives us fresh starts. In the rainbow, when, when man stood in front of it, he was like, okay, we survived. We're still here, and there's this promise of what's to come. And so anytime we see a rainbow, it's God saying, it's from now on. Noah, it's from now on. And for each of us who stands in the sky and looks to a rainbow, we can say, you know what? This is God's reminder that it's from now on. And God is always gracious to us. And God is always gracious with us. You know, it's interesting as you look at a rainbow that the colors will always be in the same order. You ever heard this, and maybe you learned this in science class, Roy G. Biv, and that's your acrostic to remember that. So you start at the top, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Our uh, Roy G. Biv, they'll always appear in this, this order. If you see a second rainbow, like this picture up here, there we go. 
You might notice that, that the colors reverse. But they will always reverse, and there's a reason for that. There are such a thing as third rainbows and fourth rainbows, and every time you get to it, it will reverse from what the one beneath it is. Always. Always. Because this is how God has created it. And it's a reminder to us that God is faithful. God shows up every time in the same, not in the same way, but in the same person that he is. And we can always depend on him. And every time you look at a rainbow, you can look at those colors and they will be in that order because that's how God decided it was going to be. And in your life, God will be faithful to you. And if he promised it, it will be what he promised. And if he says, this is who I am, it will be that way. And if he says, this is how I will respond, he will respond in that way. And we're reminded of the promise of the rainbow because... Since it was given, the world has not been destroyed by a flood. God is faithful, and God will always keep his promises. Well, we finish with the last thing here. There are two things that must be present for a rainbow. Always. You have to have sun, and you have to have rain. The sun always has to be at your back, by the way. It can't be on the other side of the rainbow. It would always be behind you. And it's what allows you to look into that rain and to see the rainbow. And as you look at the rain of the story, there was a rain of great destruction. And we look at rain in our lives. A lot of times we use it metaphorically to describe the hard times or the difficult times in our lives. And that's exactly what had happened back then. But God, as he looks over Noah's shoulder, points off into the horizon and says, okay, but look what I can create out of what just happened. And there are times in our stories, too, where we need God to be over our shoulders, to look into our eyes and say, okay, what you've just gone through has been so, 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 so hard. But look what I can create here in this rain when I shine my light into it. And it's a reminder to us that God is redemptive. And in this story, this is actually a redemption story where God chooses one man and he saves the world through that one man. He does that again later on. He chooses Jesus Christ. And he looks at this world, and instead of judging the world as he did with the flood, this time, the next time, he chooses to judge Jesus Christ instead. And he brings redemption into our story. God is redemptive, and any time we can see a rainbow, we can look at that rainbow and be reminded that there is hope, because God takes the rain, and he turns it into something beautiful. God takes our sin, and through Jesus Christ, turns that into new life. God takes the hard times of life, and through his working, makes something beautiful out of it. So Noah sees a rainbow, it's the very first one, but God says, you know what, there's going to be more. There's going to be more for you, and there's going to be more for the generations that come. In fact, there's going to be rainbows as long as there are people on this earth. And every time that they see a rainbow, they could think back to what happened in this story. And there's some great reminders there, but they can also think about what's going on right now in their own lives. And God says, I am real. I am revealing myself because I want you to know me. And when you look at that rainbow... You can hear God say, I am personal. 
And I am here with you in this moment. And you can hear God say, I am sovereign. And you can lean into my power because I do have things under control. And you can hear God say, I am beautiful. Would you just stop for a minute? Take a deep breath and enjoy my beauty. And we can hear God say, I am gracious. And if you stand underneath my love, you can start from here. And you can hear God say, I am faithful. Just like every time when it rains and that sun hits that 42-degree angle, every time that rainbow is coming up, and every time I'll come through on my promise. And finally, I am redemptive. And I can change your story. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Mount Ararat for taking us up there today. Thank you for rainbows and what we can learn about you. They're not just a physical phenomena. They are a spiritual and a theological phenomena where every time you invite us to step cognitively into your story and into your presence. And for wherever we sit here this morning, I pray that you would encourage us and that you would remind us in the next time that a rainbow comes to realize that it's you speaking to us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Two questions for you this morning. The first one is this. Do you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? He took the judgment of God for all of our sins on himself so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. You can have that relationship by inviting Jesus Christ into your story, into your life. You can do that where you sit. If you have questions about that, I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you just need to be reminded. There's no rainbows outside today, but there's a rainbow right here. And maybe you need to be reminded of a God who cares so much about us that he keeps showing up in our stories over and over again and says, don't forget and what is it that you needed to be reminded of this morning? Can you take just a moment to reflect on that with God? So God, thank you for the fact that you are present, invisible, but present at all times in our story and working to redeem them. We praise you for that this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're going to finish this morning with communion.